My friend Delbert Baker wrote an op-ed piece in the latest Adventist Review where he quotes a meme that's been going around. It's kind of in this, uh, this computer lingo. Uh, you'll get it, I hope. So, so here it is. Can we uninstall 2020 and install it again? This version has a virus. Boy, whoever put that together was thinking quick and on the spot. Can we uninstall it? The version we got has a virus. You think about it. This pandemic, because of the virus, today is the 12th Sabbath in a row that you and I have been in lockdown. I'm telling you what, 12 Sabbaths, and we have a few more to go, our governor tells us. My. Coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, 2020 version, and we can't reinstall it. That number 12 really pales into insignificance when you hear another statistic, and I'm reaching right down, thanks to the, the uh, kindness and generosity of a friend. I have here in my hands, I'm going to show it to you, this Sunday, okay, this is May 24, this Sunday's New York Times, and I'm going to hold it up so that you can see it. I know you can see it. I'm trusting you can see it. Can you see that headline? U.S. deaths near 100,000 an incalculable loss. The whole page is covered with names. You go inside, there's another whole page. Turn the page, there's another whole page. 100,000. In fact, it was just between Wednesday and Thursday this week that we crossed into the 100,000 threshold of deaths in the United States alone. 100,000. That's 100,000 funerals. That's 100,000 families. What they did was they, they studied obituaries and death notices across the nation. And they culled from all across America these names. In fact, let me just pick one out. And I'm not going to pick it out without knowing, uh, by knowing first. So I'm just going to point my finger and I'll read to you that name. And they insert a little line from the obituary that identifies this human being. These are not statistics. These are human beings, 100,000 of them. 1% of the 100,000 are right here. So, okay, I'm going to put my finger right there, and I'm going to read the name. And the name is Kimarli Nguyen, 33 years old, Everett, Massachusetts, writer who inspired her Brooklyn High School students. She's a person, and there's a family today that grieves her death, a hundred thousand. My, oh, my, oh, my. Our, our, our 12 Sabbaths in lockdown really pale into insignificance. The point of all this, well, I think an obvious point, is that you and I have very much for which to be thankful. We are alive. Yeah, we're locked down. Of course it's inconvenient, but we are alive and we lift up to God these 100,000 families plus, because the number keeps growing, who are grieving, who are mourning at this time. I got to tell you, speaking of families, I, I miss seeing you. I really do. In fact, Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock, we convened the uh, church board and the board of elders all on one Zoom screen. So we had 40 plus people. And I tell you, th these are the faces that I know and love. 
I know and love your face as well, but these were all in one place. And I'm just looking and grinning at all these people. And I said, you know what? I just love you guys. Here they are gathered, all of us locked down. But we convene on that Zoom screen for the business of the church. And do you know what their business was? Uh, We're wrestling now with when and how do we enter that sacred and beloved space that we call our spiritual home, Pioneer Memorial Church. When do we do it? I'm not going to go into the details. They gave some very careful thinking, prayerful thinking. I'd like you to read the report. In fact, it was in the latest COVID-19 e-letter. You should have gotten it Wednesday night. You're not getting those e-letters. You just go on our website and say, hey, I want to, I want to get those e-letters. You'll get them. Anyway, it went out Wednesday night. Go to pmchurch.org, of course, .org. Uh, don't even do anything. Just pmchurch.org. And the red COVID-19 bar at the top, click on there. You'll have the report. You'll have the blog. You'll have other announcements uh, related to this pandemic lockdown season. Yeah, one of these days, we will be face-to-face. I absolutely am confident of that. The big question is, when? Here's what we know. We have to be in place by August 24. That's when the students descend on Andrews University the few days before for a brand new school year. August 24, that's a Monday. We have to be up and running in Pioneer, ready for our, our mission, which is we're the only church on the campus of Andrews University. We've got to be ready to minister to these kids as they come back or as they come for the first time. So we know that. When do we go in? How do we prepare the space? Read that report. You'll you'll be pleased, I think, and grateful. And speaking of being thankful, I I, I have to thank you for your faithful prayer intercessions for those eight evenings last week, standing on this very spot in the uh, living room, I'm afraid we're going to wear, wear a hole in the spot if I keep standing here. But every evening, live to New York City and to the Adventist community there and their friends, thank you for your prayers. God heard those prayers, and he blessed, and I'm grateful. But speaking of grateful, I'm also grateful for our three pastors with their giftedness in preaching who stepped up to the plate. Pastors Rodley, Lindsay, and Ben, in that order, and they ministered to our hearts. I wasn't in New York. My executive assistant's assistant wrote me and she said, hey, are you going to New York? Nope, nope, nope. Stayed right here. Who would go to New York right now anyway? But it was, a, it was a privilege for me to sit here every Sabbath morning and get blessed as you got blessed, uh, worshiping via this live stream. So God bless our pastors. Thank you for that. And speaking of eight nights in a row, evangelism, do you understand? That is going on right now. I am so proud a Pastor Ben and Chris Davidson. Chris Davidson is my neighbor just a few doors down. He's an eighth grade teacher, one of them. They've been working for months getting ready for the tent. They had no idea that the tent would not be in a tent this year. Instead, it's an, it's an electronic, what are they calling it, virtual tent. You got to go. There's, a, there's still a few more presentations. They're, they're wrapping up the week, but there are a few more to go. Go to our website, pmchurch.org slash the tent. You can be there every night, seven o'clock, seven o'clock. Let's be there for those junior high kids. Those are the, that's what I'm really, really proud of. It's these junior high kids with their creativity. Watch how the programs begin with these uh, clever, creative uh, young producers. And then as each preacher from night to night preaches her or his heart out to his peers, to her, to her, to her family and friends, to the world, uh, just celebrate with them. Send up a prayer for them. 
They're wrapping up, I think it's what, uh, next Tuesday night. Anyway, God bless them all. So here, here, here's the uh, title. I got to uh, mention the title once and then we're going to pray. Our pastors got it, have given it a strong start, these first three parts, God's waiting room. So they said, Dwight, you can come in now and do a little yourself. Okay, God's waiting room, the title of the homily, The Certainty of Uncertainty. Let's pray. Oh God, please teach us the purpose of your waiting room. We don't want to just sit there. We don't want to just sit here. Whatever's going on, God, maximize these moments in our lockdown. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of waiting rooms, I got to, I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you that there are two things I really do not like about waiting rooms. Don't quote me on this, but uh, number one, most of the magazines in a waiting room are outdated. Have you noticed that? I mean, I'm picking these magazines up. They're like 11 months old. I said, what's up with that? So I got a nurse I love, and I put it to her. I said, yo, how come there are no new magazines? She says, listen, people walk off with them. Are you serious? One of you guys took uh, Popular Mechanics, didn't you? I need to see that issue. That was the issue I was looking forward to. You know what I get to see when I go in now? Yeah, I'm telling you the truth. It's uh, Good Housekeeping, Thanksgiving edition, 2018. I've memorized the recipes, folks. Bring the magazines back or just leave them there. That's the thing about waiting rooms. The magazines are outdated. And here's the other thing. You know what I don't like about waiting rooms? Is that you have to wait. Who invented that? What's up with that? Wait. In fact, that turns out to be the collective complaint from many a friend of God's during the time this book was written, from one cover to the other. You're going to hear the question again and again when you read the Bible. Oh, God, how long? My Lord, how long? From Genesis to Revelation. I tell you what, God has a huge waiting room. And some of his closest friends in history have spent time in that room, as you and I have. I mean, I think about this man. Every, every time I think about him, I say, oh, man, poor Noah. You think about the story of Noah. He is always waiting. Yeah, I want to go to that story. It's a story here in Genesis 6. Grab your Bible. Genesis 6. You got it there. God comes along one day. You know the story. He says, Noah, this world is a mess. We're going to have to start over. I need you to do something for me. You know, I think if God came to Noah today and lived with the world we're in right now, what would he say to Noah? Hey, Noah, the world's a mess? Or would it be, Noah, this place has melted down? I mean, can you believe it? While this pandemic is going on, life is still going on, and life is not always pretty. We've seen a dark side to human life, even during the pandemic itself. Only now, have you noticed, it's all being done on camera. Somebody's filming it. That, is, that, that has injected a whole other dimension into human suffering. Man's inhumanity to man abounds outside our lockdown walls. You know what? Let me just be honest with you. It's easy for you and me to talk about 100,000 deaths, isn't it? I mean, look, we're sad. Our hearts grieve. But hey, we talk about it. But to talk about the deaths of two young black men, 
Ooh, suddenly now, that's not so easy. Uh, maybe we, have, we ought not to be talking about that. We should be thinking about that. Oh, really? We just talked about 100,000 deaths. Nobody mind, minded then. Man's inhumanity to man. That's the world that we're living in now. I wonder what God would say to Noah if Noah were alive today. Has God noticed? Anybody up there? Anybody noticing what's happening down here? I have a feeling all of heaven is on red alert today. Uh, let's, go to, let's go to Genesis 6. You know these words, but we'll read them again. Genesis chapter 6. God calling Noah. Noah who spends his life in a waiting room. Here we go. Genesis chapter 6, drop down to verse 5. And the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. We're talking about 100% saturation. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and within the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah, Noah found grace, as the old King James put it. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully, just like Enoch. He walked faithfully with God. For 120 years, we know that from the first three verses of the chapter, for 120 years, God says, yo, Noah, I want you to preach the end of the world is here. For 120 years, 12 decades, Noah obeys the instructions. He's building this massive floating vessel. 120 years in a waiting room that he never thought would be that long. And he's preaching the end of the world. Wow. Anybody complaining about 12 days? When you've got 120 years in a waiting room? God's waiting room. What's going on during those 120 years? What is happening on earth that leads God to wait and to wait and to wait? Apparently, a long-suffering God is not willing to lose even one child. I tell you what. When you put today's headlines into the, into the, uh, the, uh, the, the metaphor or the simile uh, of, of, of a human family, a parent with a child, suddenly the headlines aren't quite the same. That's, somebody, that's God's child. That's God's child. A hundred thousand children. Peter, you remember the lines of Peter. And I'm going to zip over here to, what is it? This, this is Second Peter chapter 3. Peter says, listen, here's what's going on. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. I will come again. I will come again. I am coming soon. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you and me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Inject, inject the, the metaphor of parenthood, and suddenly all bets are off. How long would you wait if it, if it was your child that the whole world is waiting for, but you get to make the call? How long would you wait? How long would I wait? Why, we'd wait as long, as long, as long as it is humanly possible to wait. Let's not be too hard on God. 
with Noah, who ends up waiting 120 years. Listen, Noah, don't, don't quit preaching yet. Come on, you keep preaching. The end of the world is here. We, we, we may be on the cusp of a breakthrough. Yeah, fine, breakthrough. Eight people get saved, his kids and their wives and his wife. Eight. Oh, Dwight, 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 Dwight. Be careful. Don't minimize the eight. And of course, you make a good point. Yeah, we ought not to minimize the eight. That eight could be a supernatural divine intervention that ensured the eight would survive. It would become the parents of the, the, the renewed human race. It isn't numbers. God's going for every child that will say yes to him. So while Noah and Mrs. Noah and family are waiting and waiting and waiting to be saved, God is waiting and waiting for the lost supernaturally while everybody's waiting. You know what God is doing? He is rebuilding. He is, re, he, he is revamping the characters of at least eight people. He's investing everything he has in those eight. I tell you what, lockdowns perform a divine work. That's what I got to keep reminding myself. They perform a divine work. And what I can't see in you and what you can't see, look, she hasn't changed. Look, he hasn't changed. What we can't see in each other, God is seeing. And in this time of the waiting room, because this is what always happens in a waiting room, God is at work quietly. We say the doctor hasn't come yet. What we don't know is the doctor's already with us in that waiting room. Working, working, working. And while God is growing you and me, he's feverishly working for him and her. Let me repeat that. While God is growing you and me, he's feverishly working for him and her. I can't say, vamos, vamos, let's go. Come on, come on. I got to go. I got to go to heaven. God says, don't talk to me about going to heaven. I have other children besides you, boy. And he does. And I need to keep remembering that. 120 years, there they are in the lockdown of a waiting room, waiting and waiting and waiting. Whatever's going on in this lockdown in my heart right now, my mind, my spirit, my soul, God, just stay at it, please. Don't, 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 don't abandon me. Don't give up on me. Stay with me, please. Truth is, you and I are living right now with a reality we could call the certainty of uncertainty. Isn't that it? There's, of one thing we can be certain, and that is life is uncertain. That's the certainty we have. It's of uncertainty. I mean, nobody knows. How do you, how do you run a campus once in, in the midst of a pandemic when the kids come back? Nobody knows. How do we do it? We've got bright minds thinking about how. How do you, how do you re-enter a church that has been at least 12 weeks empty? Maybe there's going to be more. How do you re-enter and maintain social distancing and, and, and uh, sort of a septic environment? How do, you, how do you do that? Nobody knows. We've never done it before. We've put a task force together. Jim Ford, our head deacon, is, is heading it up, and they're going to give some careful study to it. That I know, and they'll do a great job. Nobody knows. It's the certainty of uncertainty. The only thing we're certain about is that this life, next steps, nobody knows. The certainty of uncertainty. So NPR has this uh, little corner in its broadcast, um, also on its website. 
It's called, uh, it's called, uh, I got it right here, Life Kit. It's called Life Kit. Get this closer to my eyes. It's called Life Kit. And the tagline for the website is tools to help you get it together. All right, so they're really focusing on the pandemic right now. And a friend of mine sent me the newsletter from three weeks ago, the title of the newsletter, Advice for Dealing with Uncertainty from People Who've Been There. Seven great suggestions. And by the way, you look them up. They're good. I, I, I was tempted to just run the seven by you, but ah, no, no, no. You got a, you got a internet. Just uh, find, go to NPR uh, Life Kit. Look for Life Kit. And then you're looking for the uncertainty. Just look for the word uncertainty. You'll find it. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to share with you three more suggestions. So the NPR gives seven. I'm going to give you three more that NPR would never touch in a hundred years. Three. Three life principles for living in uncertainty. By the way, they, that have everything to do with Noah and his family and the ark. Okay, so I'm going to run these three and sit down. Here we go. Three life principles for knowing how to survive God's waiting room. Here they come. Principle number one. You can scribble these down in your mind. Some of you are note takers, so you're going to scribble it down on a piece of paper. That's fine by me. I'm just stalling so you get that piece of paper. Because here comes principle number one. Admit your transience. Admit your transience. What's up with that? Well, that's the truth that everything is passing away. This is transience. Admit that you are as transient as a thousand names in Sunday's New York Times. That's transience. How did Paul put it? Was this 1 Corinthians 7? Paul writes, For this world in its present form is passing away. It is imperative that we admit our transience and deal with our mortality. Otherwise, we'll never connect at the deepest level with God himself. Uh, James. Okay, so this is James, the uh, stepbrother of Jesus. Okay, the little epistle of James in the New Testament. I'm not going to look these up. Let me run them by you. This is James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. James 4. Now listen. So this is James writing to you and me. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Boy, they're not in lockdown if you can go to this or that city today or tomorrow. But Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. We will spend a year there. We will carry on business and make money. James asks, why? <laughs> why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You, excuse me, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's life. I go out walking in the early morning and, uh, you know, we've had some cold weather and the ground, is, ground has been wet and then the weather changed and you had the warmth in the air. And boy, you got mist. Mist everywhere. The thing about mist is once the sun shines on it, it's gone. Adios, mist. Where'd you go? It's just gone. James says, yo, that's you and me. Our life is but a mist. Transience. Here one moment, gone the next. Until we admit our transience, until we confess our mortality, the greatest lessons of life in the waiting room cannot be learned. Oh, I'll be fine. I'll go on. I'll go on. No, 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 no. Christian Wyman, the great poet. This is good. In his book, My Bright Abyss Observes, speaking of death. Here it is. Any life that does not take account of death, that does not in one way or another hear the annihilating silence inside every sound, is a life that can neither harness nor redress that dark energy, which is to say, a life of which death already has possession. End quote. Absolutely critical. 
Bible writers agree that we are confronted daily with our mortality, our transience. Admit your transience. The Bible does it right and left. So that was the New Testament, and there are a bunch more. Here, here's the Old Testament. This, this, is, uh, this is Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16. Everybody knows this beloved psalm. And in the middle of it are the, is this sober reminder. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. Transience, a cover of the New York Times Sunday edition, a cover of my life, the cover of your life. We're all transient, mortals. Until we can admit our transience, the human spirit will refuse to seek the certainty of God. So we need that certainty, the certainty of uncertainty. We need the certainty of God's certainty. Okay, so that's principle number one. Principle number one, admit your transience. Here comes principle number two. There are only three of these. Principle number two, embrace his waiting room. What are you talking about? Well, I hope it's encouraging for you to recall how many of God's closest friends on earth in this book spent mega time in that very big waiting room. How many of them? Well, let me just run a few of the well-known ones by you. Oh, did I mention Noah? Of course. Noah, 120 years on land, and a year plus on water, waiting in God's waiting room. What am I waiting for? God says, I'll let you know. Here, here's Abraham, just a few pages further into Genesis. And Sarah, waiting 25 years in God's waiting room for his promise that they're going to have a boy that will be the, the seed of the Messiah. Hmm. Also in Genesis, Joseph, 13 years as a slave in Egypt, in God's painful waiting room. The dream, whatever happened to that dream? Wow. Here's David, hunted like an animal, waiting in God's waiting room while Saul seeks to take him down. Here's Elijah, pursued for three and a half years as a criminal, waiting, waiting in God's waiting room. Here's Jesus. 30 plus years. The Messiah just waiting. You tell me. You give me the word. I'm in this room until you say it's now. And then there's Paul. Three years in the Arabian desert. In God's waiting room. Waiting for the instructions about mission. I'm telling you. The closest friends God has ever had. Have been occupants. Big time occupants. Of God's waiting room. Some of you are in that waiting room right now. And I'm not just talking about the pandemic. We've kind of dealt with that. But some of you in, are in that waiting room right now. You're, you're, you're in the waiting room for your health. You're just waiting on God. You're just waiting and waiting. And those of us that know about you waiting, we're waiting with you. We're staying right by you. Don't ever forget that. Some of you are in the waiting room right now. You're wondering about your education. What's going to happen? What am I supposed to do now? Some of you are in the waiting room right now and you're, 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 you're waiting about your marriage. Well, you may not be married and you're wondering, is that a part of God's equation for me? Or maybe you're waiting because your marriage is not where you want it to be and you're wondering, how long does this go on? You wait. Some of you are in the waiting room because of your life. Some of you are in the waiting room because of death. You're waiting. 
your waiting, your career, your finances. Look at this. The, the, the needs are, are scores. Some of you are in your waiting room right now because of your children. You are waiting and you are waiting and you are waiting. Yeah, welcome to God's waiting room. We're not alone. You must not give up. So Psalm, Psalm 130, I got to read this to you. This is something else. I'm talking about waiting. Psalm 130. If you want to find it in your Bible, that's fine. I'll read it to you. Psalm 130. Speaking of waiting. This is verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in His Word, His Word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. It's dark in this waiting room. I'm waiting like a watchman for the first faint hues of light and dawn. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Oswald Chambers, in that classic of his, My Utmost for His Highest. Spot on counsel. Can I read it to you? Oswald Chambers, wait for God's time to bring it, whatever it is you're asking for, all right? Wait for God's time to bring it, bring it round, and He will do it without any heartbreak or disappointment. Now, here's, here's this uh, uh, sage counsel. When it is a question of the providential will of God, wait for God to move. Saul could not wait. He could not wait. He jumped in and destroyed his life, destroyed his life. Chambers says, no, 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 no. If it has to do with the providential will of God, you wait for God to take the first move. And that's good counsel. I've tried to follow that through the years. Let God take the first move. At times I've forgotten. Should have waited. All right, three principles. Here comes number three. Principle number one, admit your transience. Principle number two, embrace his waiting room. And principle number three, the last one, wait for him not for it. What do you mean by that? I'll show you. Uh, another poet, George Herbert. One line. It's a prayer. Oh Lord, let me not love thee if I love thee not. Oh, that's pretty heavy. Let me unpack that. In other words, Lord, don't let me hang around your waiting room if I want the gift more than the giver. Herbert again, O Lord, let me not love thee if I love thee not. Wait. Wait for him. Not for the it's we've talked about, as important as they are. Wait for him. I'm going to end with this. This is Psalm 27. This is so beautiful that I'm doing something I normally don't do, and that is I'm putting it on the screen. So in a moment, I'm going to give you a moment to find it. Those of you that have a Bible nearby, but I want everybody to see these words. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. It's the last two lines of this beautiful psalm. Let's put it on the screen now, and I'm going to read the words. Now, this is from the New King James Version. Here we go. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait 
I say on the Lord. Now, in those words, come down. I'm going to invite my, my bride and my wife and my friend all these years to come and stand beside me. Because you know what we're going to do? We want, we want to teach. There's a little tune to this. And once you get the tune, trust me, you can't get it out. Derek Morris, everybody knows Derek Morris, his wife Bodil, they're friends of ours. Derek and Bodil took these words from the New King James, Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, and they set, it, they set the words to music. And our mutual friend with them, uh, Sabine Vettel, when she was here, taught us the, the, uh, the tune to these two verses. It's a beautiful tune. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. We're going to sing it now. And, and that's not the secret. You just be praying right now. That's what you need to be doing. She sings all the time. I don't. And you obviously already know why. Uh, but the secret is this. You can, go on, you can go on YouTube. Don't do it right now. But jot this down. It's the opening words of the verse. I would have lost heart. So you type in, I would have lost heart. Bingo. Derek and Bodil singing this will come up. You just see a picture of a pine cone. Don't worry about it. It's, it's two minutes long. But you'll listen to it. Play it to the family. Have the kid, hey kids, come around. Let's, let's listen to this. Let's listen to this. Oh, I think we can sing that. Don't you, Daddy? I think we can sing that, Mommy, don't you think? Oh, I know we can, boys and girls. Let's do it. Come on, kids. Uh, teach somebody. This will stay with you. Okay? So we're going to do it now. And, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to sing it through together. We're going to put the words on the screen. So you're looking at the words and you're getting, okay, that's, uh, that's the first verse. And now they're singing the second verse. And here's the deal about it. Uh, last little explanation, and that is Derek and Bodil have us repeat a phrase once in a while, and, and it contributes to the tune, and you'll see it. It's wonderful. You're going to love it. All right, let's put the words on the screen. Don't look at me now. Don't look at Karen. You look at the words on the screen, and uh, we're going to sing them with you. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. All right, here comes the next verse. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Repeat. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. One more time. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Look, it's a piece of cake. Keep the words up there because we're going to go back now. We want you to join us. Come on, you can do it. Just follow our, our little voices in the background. And you'll notice the, the, the verse will repeat parts. That's no big deal. Once you have it memorized, you'll never be able to recite these without the repetitions. And that's beautiful, too. All right, let's start it at the top. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. 
in the land of the living. Here comes the great appeal. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Repeat. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Now listen to me twice. Wait I say on the Lord, wait, I say on the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? You did a great job, by the way. We can hear you. (laughs) Run this tune through your mind. Listen to it on YouTube. It'll take you three or four times during family worship. You'll have it. We we, we did it at first in family worships so that we just got to get this tune in our brains. We don't need any accompaniment now. Should have had some, but we don't need it. We keep telling ourselves. Uh, what I want to do is end now with a line. This is from Derek Kidner. Now, Derek Morris and his wife Bodle composed that tune. Derek Kidner is the great commentator on the Psalms. I have his two-volume commentary. And he writes just one line of verse 14 that we've just sung, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Here's the line that, that, that Kidner writes. The suppliant, that's the person in the waiting room. That would be you, that would be me. The suppliant who's petitioning God, the suppliant has no more to go on than the assurance that God is worth waiting for. But that is enough. End quote. That is so beautiful. It brings tears to my eyes. The suppliant has no more to go on than the assurance that God is worth waiting for. But that's enough. My friends, my fellow our fellow occupants of God's big waiting room. We got to keep going. We keep waiting. We know that God is worth waiting for, and that's enough. Calvary, with the nail-scarred hands of our Lord himself, Calvary declares to us, trust me, I am worth waiting for. I'm doing the very best for you that could be done on this planet. And one day, you'll see what I was waiting for and what was happening to you as you were waiting for it. Wow. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, God. Oh, we know it. The waiting room, been there and done that. And it's been... It's, it's, it's been hurtful at times. It's been painful. The only thing we've been certain about is the uncertainty of our lives. But here you are, through your friends, ancient friends, who keep telling us, no, 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 wait on the Lord. Just, just keep waiting. Be of good courage. He's got what you need. Just wait on the Lord. And so, Father, for everyone right now who's watching, and listening. Give him, give her the courage she needs to keep on waiting. And if we have to wait until Jesus comes, then we will wait until Jesus comes. The greatest news of all. And that's enough. It really is. And we praise you in his name. Amen.